Welcome to On the Line, a podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Jim Hart. Jim, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be here with us today. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, you and your academy. Well, thanks for having me, Jenny. appreciate it. Um, you know, we're a small program here north of Atlanta, about 40 minutes north of the Atlanta metro area. And, um, you know, we, we probably have about 25, 30 kids during uh, any given season, um, of which about half of those kids are at a pretty good sectional level and, and maybe somewhere between 7 and 10, depending on the year, are ranked somewhere at a decent national level. I've always said that we are sectionally, you know, pretty strong and nationally relevant, and we're, we're working towards uh, being nationally strong. Uh, it's a continued endeavor. I really like that assessment. You said sectionally strong and nationally relevant. I really, really like that. So what steps are you taking to become nationally strong? Well, you know, it's, um, it's certainly a lot of coaching education. Continue mm-hmm. to try to keep up with um, the game as fast as it changes or doesn't change. That's, that's always open for uh, a good conversation. But, you know, going to events and evaluating the players and, um, you know, is one. you got to look at the skill sets, uh, including their tactical knowledge. And then, of course, um, their standards, as you guys wrote about in your awesome book, um, <laughs> is, is, you know, and, and you and Alistair have become such good friends and, and everything. And, and it, it sheds a, a massive light. I think that the biggest issue we see uh, in becoming that national level player really comes down to two things. Either you, you're born with some great DNA. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, you get there fairly easily. Or um, you're a really hard worker who, who just really listens and learns and wants to get skills fast. And in our game, you know, we know that some kids are starting really early, and they can be really good really fast and, um, and then stay front runners. And sometimes they'll stay there. Sometimes they'll fall off. But I think the important thing is, is, is what making sure that uh, we're teaching the standards, we're teaching the the skills and, and not just the tennis ones that get you to those places and um, and that we can match up the, the right game for you too. Um, but yeah, being nationally strong is, um, it's a tough thing to do when we say nationally strong, that could be, you know, anywhere in the top hundred to top 10 and, right. and I don't have any top 10 kids. So when mm-hmm. I get there, I'll know more. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you, um, when you talk standards and, and, you know, you, you've had a successful academy, um, you know, well, we'll talk about defining success later, but, but as far as benchmarks in your academy and creating the culture that you have, I mean, having spent some time there myself, I mean, you have a really special thing with your group of kids and your group of coaches and your support system. What, what have you done to sort of nurture that culture? Well, that's, you know, it's, it's nice of you to say we, we tried, I, I think often as a, um, as a coach, you attract like-minded people. So, mm-hmm. so you, you know, and, and at the same time, you kind of repel unlike-minded people. But um, <laughs> Alistair's visit a couple of years ago helped me really see uh, that the standards were as important as anything. You know, how we shook hands with people we didn't know or mm-hmm. looking people in the eye. And those were borrowed. You know, those were things I'd seen at other programs. My friend Jeff Wilson is a really great coach up there with Brian Minton mm-hmm. at, um, in um, South Carolina. And Jeff had some of those standards when I visited his program, and I was so impressed. And this was, this goes back 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, well, that's something we can do, and, and thanks, Jeff, for that. But um, we continue to look at that, how we, how we enter the day. And, and one of the cool things I say to the kids is, 
you know, I'll always ask a new player, how do you tie your shoes when you wake up in the morning? <laughs> and, like and, you know, that's just one of those things. And they always ask, you know, we get to the point, a little guided discovery and fun with them. Of, what do you mean? I tie my shoe, you know, the rabbit goes around the tree. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> do you wake up in the morning as an athlete? Do you wake up in the morning as somebody who is unstoppable uh, with their dream and their goal and their focus? And sometimes we're asking a lot of a young player or a young person, but that's okay. It's okay to give them those standards and to uh, teach them to apply them. They're not going to be good at them. They're not supposed to be their children. Uh, and some are more mature than others. But at the end of the day, when you ask, you know, how do we do that? We, we try to do it every single day. We we beat it home every single day, I think, to the point where the kids repeat it to me, actually. Well, that's great. I mean, I know that I can It's sort of still hear a variety. I'm fortunate to have had some great mentors as a, as a coach. And, and then when I was younger as a player and I still hear those voices and, you know, sort of sayings or mantras and in my head. So I think that's a testament to, to you and to your program that, you know, if the kids are saying it back and it's, it's in there. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it sticks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. In fact, just recently we had a, um, we had a situation where we came off the court on a bad day. It was raining and uh, we just made the best of the day. And, and I asked the question to the group after us, like, so what was today about? And four or five of them said, making the best of bad situations. And I, and I started laughing and I was like, well, you guys got that right. And they're, oh, they said, coach, you say it every time the weather's <laughs> bad or something. I was like, oh, okay. So we have driven that point home. And it's an important point uh, because it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what the conditions, you can always find a way to make a practice or make the day better or make the day productive. And, and I'm glad that, that that's something they're getting. Cause I think it's a great life skill. Oh, oh with no doubt about that. Um, again, just, just from my time and experiencing that firsthand, I know that, you know, if it was raining or the courts, we couldn't get on the clay or whatever it was, we'd go inside and do, do a little more fitness or some of my favorite days were when you would do some goal setting and you'd, you'd write on the mirror there in the fitness room. And <laughs> so tell, tell us a little bit about how you approach goal setting, you know, individually with your players and then as a group and those settings and, and how often and how important is, is that goal setting to you and your program? That's a, that's a really good one. And, you know, we've got two different types, right? We've got our periodization model mm -hmm. that my entire program is actually now, uh, periodized mm -hmm. and uh, we as a group and then we have some individual models for our top players that are real okay. important of course mm -hmm. um, but then we also have uh, we cha I changed the way I saw it and we'll ask the kids everybody here is tracking to play college tennis mm -hmm. we do have a high school program as well but the, the bulk of our program is about playing college tennis or beyond and um, the reality of that is something Eric Butterack said in his TED talk, which really hit home and made, made me change everything. We've got to quit giving these players, these young people, this gigantic future of I'm going to play pro tennis mm -hmm. and badgering them every day about pro tennis and things like that. Instead, I loved his approach. What are you doing today? What are, what are your goals this week? What are your goals this month? Let's do, these are children. They don't see into the future so well. They don't mm -hmm. see the weeks ticking by like the way we pay bills on the mm -hmm. first of the month. They mm -hmm. see each day, they see each week. And, and we can do a lot more in a day and a week than we can if we're focused on massive future goals. So we talk about it a lot 
and uh, everything is is actually gathered into the uh, the big base model for the program. Okay. Um, now, when I was there, one of the things that um, really impressed me was your. I mean, your ratio of male to female players was really right at fifty fifty, if not tipping a little more towards females. Um, is is that the same now? I know it's been a few years. Yes, it is actually. In fact, I, and there was a time where I think we were a little bit um, more more to the guys, um, but that changed, and we are we're almost dead on fifty fifty. We and again, you might be right. I think we might have a few more girls right now than we do guys, and um, that's been a special part of our our world and my ability to try hard, or you know, my improving ability, if you will, to try hard mm-hmm. to understand. Um, the life of a tennis player from, from both a male perspective and a female perspective. Cause I think it's, it's uh, quickly overlooked as something that's easier than it really is. Absolutely. Um, and so what, can you share with us a few things that you maybe do differently in an approach to a male or a female? And I know we're speaking in broad generalities. I mean, you can certainly say some things to both either or, but you know, fundamentally sometimes approaches can be different. Um, how, how do you approach it? Well, it's, it's fun. I mean, I've, I've done as many things wrong as I've done right over the years, <laughs> you know, truthfully. And you learn from, from how you say something and how it might affect somebody. Um, but I do also keep coming back to a circle, and, and I'm not 100% how I feel about it sometimes. But that I, I try to treat – I end up treating every player almost exactly the same. Because if I say – and I used to say this a lot – my my guys, I can yell at them and make them do something and tell them to do it, and they're they're happy to get out there and – and go. My girls I've found in the past are a little bit more introspective Mm -hmm. and, and they, they pay more attention. If anything, maybe more instinctive sometimes. Um, that is if they can, if they don't think I'm invested in them, we're not going to get anywhere. And I've seen that happen over and over. And it usually happens with players who are not as invested at the level I want them to be. Mm -hmm. And they'll pick up on the fact that maybe I'm not as invested as I should be. So In reality, I think every child deserves the best you can give them in terms of that investment. And um, I have found a lot of times with my with my girls, I'll have conversations that are a little bit more open ended, asking them if they are okay with what we're going to do. Or is this a good plan? Are you comfortable with this? Do you see it the same way? Mm-hmm. But then again, I'll go back to full circle. I'm like, well, if that's okay for my girls, it should be okay for my guys. So. Why am I dictatorial with my boys and um, and I want to have conversations uh, with my girls? And, and I want everybody to feel that they're understanding, buying in and part of the plan. Um, I do think with the female perception of self in society today mm-hmm. that we need to be extremely careful about how we talk about fitness and nutrition mm-hmm. and and sense of, of body. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think what's painted in social media these days is um, unfair and it is not common to all body types. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's something that I am I try to be very, very aware of. And it's something we probably need to discuss more. But that's probably not something I would talk about with the guys at the same time. But, um, you know, that's a hard thing in social media these days. I, I had made the com- comment one time to my wife that a certain young lady I was working with was just not very confident. Mm-hmm. And she said, what 15-year-old girl do you know is confident? And I was like, wow, that's so true. But then again, <laughs> what 15-year-old guy 
is really confident. You know, a lot of times, if, yeah. even if they're a little bit cocky or um, arrogant, a lot of times it's covering up for some insecurity. And sure. and to to take it all full circle, girls and guys both, it's very important for a coach to be invested, know their player, and understand how that relationship works outside of the facility and the court. Absolutely. And so you're speaking to a greater sense of empathy and caring there and you know just like in in life and our different relationships that we have you know how you show one person you care might be different from how you you know communicate that same level of caring to another person and um you know so to be able to kind of feel that and be sensitive to that in a coaching setting is is tremendous (laughs) we can only do the best we can and i don't think you can build a world-class player without having a nurturing mentoring whole life relationship with them. Um, I just think it's very, very hard to do that. I completely agree. So we've been talking about goal setting and, you know, obviously confidence building and being sensitive to different um, cultural cues. So, so how do you incorporate mental training into your, into your program? Yeah, the mental side is, um, you know, we'll often sit down on rainy days. You know, we, we try mm-hmm. not to ever have days off, although we just had a couple the weather here this year in Atlanta has been tough. <laughs> There's been um, a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah, we have. They said like the sixth snowiest uh, winter on record so far, something like that, sixth season. Um, so, you know, but we do. We come inside and we'll write down a list of stressors. And we have a lot of open dialogue about stressors. Unfortunately, parents are always number one. No mm-hmm. matter what I do, uh, parents continue to be number one as a yeah. stressor. Um I think the kids feel from a coaching perspective, I hold them to a standard and, a, and, and an effort level, but the pressure to win or lose is, is not the real key, whereas parents just have a hard time um, not showing negative behavior around a loss, a perceived bad loss, good luck. Look, you don't play good all the time. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, making kids understand that. Also, the way we periodized our year where we're, we're really looking at two major peaks for our, our top players per year has helped them understand that they should be playing well at certain times. And uh, I think that helps and that you can't always play well. Um, I think tying mental stress to preparation is important. You know, I, I've talked about a, a situation. You may have been in the room with me when I did it years ago um, with holes in the boat that yeah, you're, you're on a, yeah, you remember that. So I do. <laughs> you're on a boat and, uh, you're going down the river of tennis, if you will, if that's the analogy you'd like. And, and your boat is just chock full of holes and there's no way you're going to get to the end of it. And, uh, in our, in our boat, we have nutrition, we have fitness, we have standards of, of excellence, like waking up in the morning, tying your shoe, right? Preparing your gear, all of the things that you can think of that are important, your skill development, your tactical understanding, your extra matches, all of this stuff are holes all over your boat, right? Mm-hmm. Well, some of these holes are really, really easy to patch. Mm-hmm. And if you patch nutrition, if you patch fitness, if you patch uh, practicing a little bit extra, if you patch um, learning a new pattern and, and practicing it a lot, you know, you can go through your own, your own boat holes. We all have them. But you're going to get to a handful that are difficult. Um, technical development can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, movement, especially at certain ages, can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. And mental toughness can be very difficult. Sure. So in those holes, they're going to be there. 
your boat, nobody has a perfect boat, right? Mm -hmm. But at the mm -hmm. end of the day, if you've done all of the other things, then the ability to create a better sense of confidence, a better sense of self, one would be is, is in the later ages, are you comfortable with your game style? Do you know what it is? Do you know what patterns you need to get in? So what we're doing is we're taking a lot of mental baggage and we're going to break it all down and we're going to slice them off the list one at a time, but we're still going to come back to a couple of things that are going to be difficult to overcome. How my parents act around events and how I feel about myself as a person mm -hmm. and how I feel on the court. Well, once again, even those holes can be patched by doing things like breathing and ritual work and um, uh, well, I can't think of the word for it. Um, just uh, what kind of rituals do you do you have your players do in between points? Like, do you say you know look at your strings or you know go go to the fence or what what, what types of rituals do you have them do? Yeah, you know, breathing techniques are really big. Take the deep breath. Um, mm -hmm. obviously I'm a big fan of Larry Lauer. I've mm -hmm. looked at his stuff up and down, been in the room yep. with him a number of times. Yep. Um, boy, if I was a player, that's who I would want on my team. For so sure. calm, so purposeful. Um, but yeah, you talk about breathing techniques, eye control, um, focusing on letting go. Um, oh, yeah. Mistake like management. The, yeah. Yeah. I like the red, yellow, green light thing where, you know, you come off of a point kind of at red light. Mm -hmm. and you need to shift into the yellow light, you know, and you come off maybe good or bad. It could be, you could play great point, but if you get too ahead of yourself, you know, you might not be prepared for the next point or you can right. play a really terrible point conversely, <laughs> you know, and be really angry. And, and so you still need to get to yellow as you wipe down, breathe, um, do the things you're supposed to do, wipe the sweat off your arms. Um, so you've got to let, you've got to let the point go. You've now got to uh, begin to, think about what's going to be next and what your plan is. Uh, and then you've got to shift into the gear of what I call intent. My mm -hmm. intent is to accomplish this next task. And then you're on green light and you go back to the line. And, and just like in basketball, you know, you've got 20 seconds to self coach here. You don't have a coach right. to help you do right. that. You, right. so we gotta, we, we do that in practice. Um, we go through cycles of it. You know, I think right now we've been in a really physical cycle mm -hmm. and, and I'd have to look at our plan coming up, but, we go in and out of a variety of little, different mental toughness um, things that, that we do. And, and, and also yoga, big, big fan of yoga off court. Mm -hmm. um, anytime you can meditate was the word I was looking for earlier. Uh -huh. So there, there are a lot of things you can do. And we go back to our boat and the river and our mm -hmm. holes. You got a big hole in mental. Everybody does. Look, yep. the greatest player in the world in history, maybe Roger Federer had a massive issue with, with mental toughness, as did some others. And I think everybody fights it. But that hole can be patched somewhat. So it's a smaller hole, right? Right. And we could probably talk about that for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I think we might have at some point. <laughs> um, so... Um, so when we talk about conversations and, and we've already kind of touched on how kids will have those verbal cues sort of in their head that, that you've already sort of ingrained, which is super cool. Um, what type of conversations do you have with your players before a match, during a match, after a match? I mean, I know, I know that's a really broad question and it depends on the player. It depends on who they're playing. It depends on the event. I mean, I know that that is a, is a big one, but in general, what, what what kind of approaches do you take to those those conversations? 
No, that's great. That's a great question. I, you know, and it, aside from the personal nuances of every player and things you may or may not say, there are there are a few talking points that that I'm really common with us. I always say I want you to have more fun than the other player. Uh, and one of the issues we see in junior tennis is the tremendous amount of stress they're putting on themselves. Yes. Um, I want my players legitimately to have more fun. You're playing a game. It's not your last tournament. It's a great thing about tennis. If you don't play good this weekend, go sign up for another tournament. Maybe play good next weekend. Play next weekend. Um, yep. But but I want you to have more fun than them. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Number two, very important. I want to understand what your pattern development intent is for the day. Are you ready to make adjustments? Do you know what's important? Um, in, in your patterns and in your strategy, I just wrote something called the playbook and the playbook was all about the difference between running plays and developing patterns. And we've seen a lot of great work from Craig O'Shaughnessy on the pattern mm-hmm. development that's mm-hmm. going on at the tour level. We Definitely. have better metrics than we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So we really talk to the kids about, Hey, if, if your strategy is to dictate from the ad corner with your forehand, then I need to see you there throughout the match. Let's make sure we stay focused. And we don't have a lot of time. We can't fill a child's head or even a professional's head with a ton of information. You got to right. be simple. You got to make it work, and you got to be really good at it. So let's let's know what we're trying to do that day, and and also have a backup plan. If Plan A isn't going to be the right pattern, we better get to Plan B. And then finally, which I think is really really important and undercoached a lot, if you win or lose the set, reset and get ready to finish. Yes. You got to be ready to reset and go forward. Um, and other than that, you, you can't tell them a whole lot beforehand. Um, you know, they'll have they'll have concerns about mom or dad, mm-hmm. and that's you got to get them out of that if you can. But those concerns are going to be there, so that work's got to be done way before you get to pre match. You know. Oh, for sure, for sure. Wow. Now, how do you feel about journaling? Do you have your kids write down some key key things that they need to remember, just to remind them on a changeover or something? I mean, we've seen players like Andy Murray and Serena Williams, you know, go to their notes on a changeover and. I think there was a picture a few years ago on social media where, you know, Murray's notes were simple things like, you know, move your feet or, you know, do you, do you have your player's journal? Yeah, we do. We've, they're all supposed to keep them in their bags. And of course, as we go through the year, um, you know, we'll, we'll accidentally lose track of that a little bit and Mm -hmm. not get the journals out as much as we should. And Mm -hmm. I lost mine and I keep mine on my phone. Honestly, I think it's something at my program we could do a lot better at, um, Conversely, though, I'd say that these kids are immersed in school all day long, and sometimes the last thing they want to do is pull out another notebook. So, you know, I think I think journaling is integral to being to being really really good player. But I do also think that um, if we're teaching the content enough, that they they should have a solid handle on it. Now, you do have some personal situations that I've gone through with players who maybe get really nervous and have a hard time staying to their plan, or players who are just very forgetful uh, for whatever reason. I've put out numerous times uh, game plans on a note card and have players who looked at them throughout the match. So that combination of both, I think, is really important. But uh, there's a lot to be said for post-match journaling. It's probably the most important thing they do is when things are fresh in their mind Mm -hmm. to go right down, what did you do right? What didn't you do right? And my, my favorite question is, if you were going to play this match again right now, what would you do differently? Oh, that's really And um, so they, they have to, but, but, you know, again, in a perfect world, you have perfect time to deal with players. 
We don't live in, a, in that world. In junior tennis, they've got an hour sometimes before the next match. They've got to eat. They need to do a, a post-hab. You know, there, there's, there's 50 things they've got to do in an hour. And, you know, you lose track of that stuff. You don't always get to do everything in, in real time that you'd like to. Oh, that's so true. No, those are all really, really important points. Um, you know, I mean, there's so much that I, I personally admire about you and your program. One of the things that, that means a lot to me is, you know, I mean, because I do personally consider you as a mentor but, but um, and friend, obviously. But, you know, one of the things that really made an impression on me that I hadn't really seen much of before um, you would regularly call other people if you had a question and just, you know, you, you kind of phone a friend, you, you call other people in the industry and you have these conversations because you want to learn from others to make yourself better, even though you have your own vast knowledge and experience. And, you know, I love that you've invited some people to come sort of be guest pros in your program. Um, like I know you've had Nestor come in and Cameron come in and Chris, um, how did was that something that just you've always done, or how did you get to that point to to really feel comfortable bringing somebody else in and say, "Hey, learn from this guy"? You know? Yeah, you know, and, and sometimes I can. Um, it could be said maybe I'm always trying to validate that I know what the heck I'm doing because I think there's some truth to that too. But let's let's actually look at it. This is the way I've always looked at it. You know, people ask me that. I've had that question before. I was like, look, currently I have not up until today, I've not coached a player from eight years old to number one in the world. Mm -hmm. Now, when I have somebody who's eight years old and I coach them all the way to number one in the world, then maybe I'll have all of the answers. I, I, I seriously doubt that's true. I think the only person <laughs> in this country you could really ask about that that I know of would be somebody like Robert Lansdorf, who has done that mm. not just once, but on a number of occasions. But, right. but most importantly, you know, it's, it's a bigger question and then it's a bigger answer. It's, when I did USTA player development, it was because my desire was to have players at the top of the game, and I wanted to be that coach. And I came out on the court thinking I knew that I could do that and realizing that I had no clue, and or actually I probably didn't realize, I probably still thought I knew what I was doing up until a certain point, started to see what some of the, as, as I took my players to events and got our butts kicked, I'm like, okay, I've got to do better. I've got to do better. I've got to do better. So <laughs> USTA player development, PTR, PTA, ITPA, whatever it is you get involved in, you get involved in everything. And you, you, you end up not just learning things, because there's certainly a huge learning environment there, but you make friends. And depending mm -hmm. on those friends, depending on who it is you want to collaborate with, mm -hmm. um, I ended up with a group of friends who are and have been doing a really good job in junior and professional tennis for a long time. So I would reach out and then they would reach out to me and send this video. What do you think of that? I don't know. What do you think of this? And going back and forth, I think the most important thing that I got out of all that was this group of friends. And I don't want to take anything away from the education because I think the education was great. But yeah, I, have a, yeah, I have a group of coaches that we're constantly learning from. But again, I did not coach somebody from eight to number one in the world. I have coached from eight to professional level and I've coached from a young age to college level. And you pick up things and you think you know some things and you feel pretty good about them. But arrogance is, is a great track to loneliness and failure. Oh, and wow. that's a great I, quote. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm gonna I really, quote that later. <laughs> I don't know if it's quotable, <laughs> but I, I believe in it. And I believe that, that 
that humility comes from a desire in a game that is constantly evolving, constantly changing. Uh, there are no right or there, well, there are some wrong answers, but I just really believe in constantly trying to figure out what's best. I, I had a conversation recently with one of those friends. Yeah. I change my program every year mm-hmm. because every year we're not ranked one through 10 in the world. Right. So therefore I'm, I must have to improve. There's tons of things I need to get better at. I'm clearly doing as many things wrong as I am right. So every year, if not twice a year, we have to change the program to make it better. So when we rank one, two, three, four, and five in the world, then you know maybe I'll say that that was the right way to do the job. But until then, um, I owe that to to our players. I, I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, it's it just it, well, it's a great answer. It's just a great answer. <laughs> um, so I, I, you, we we kind of touched on parent um, education or dealing with difficult parents um, a little bit earlier when we were talking about your kids talking to you about stressors and mental training. What do you do in your program to? sort of address parent education or deal with difficult parents or parent training because that's been something I feel like has maybe been neglected and we have great people in the industry like Frank Giampaolo and others who are, are contributing a lot to this area. What 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 do you do? Look, this is a this is something well, first we have periodic parent meetings. I speak a lot. I go to their houses. Uh, a lot of yep. my personal time is spent there. Um, I go and sit down and have conversations, but let's be really clear. There are some parents that are coachable and there are some that are not. And that's the bottom line. And Mm -hmm. you have a fixed mindset parrot, 9.999 times out of 10, you cannot change that parent. Mm -hmm. You may have to try to find a different way of working around them. But I have found that people who really want to um, jump out of a plane without a parachute are going to do it just about no matter what you say. <laughs> and I love, sorry, I love the idea of the parent triangle and the coach and the parent and the player. And yes. it's so Disney mm-hmm. world and mm-hmm. it's just so perfect, but it's absolutely not a reality a good bit of the time. Now it's not saying that it's not a really reality some of the time. And when you get buy-in from a parent and that triad's working good for you, but I know a lot of really tough parents who've had to be really be, uh, pushed into corners by the coaches where they, you like, you got to let me do this or you need to do it on your own. It's not a perfect system, but, but, but here's the thing that it comes down to not all of them are coachable. Not all of these parents can be, can be taught. And I think it's really important that we do better job of parent education at USTA events, especially when they begin. A lot of people don't understand the path that Mm -hmm. we've got to start building a young athlete when they're young that is full of a variety of skills that include life skills, athletic skills, and eventually tennis-specific skills. Then it gets more specific. Then we begin training. And and then you begin working hard and you begin competing and you compete more and nothing's perfect and you learn how to be an athlete and how to wake up in the morning and all of these other things. And and they're like, yes, but how come, I, how come my kid is not 10 in the country? And right. that's where, you know, look, guys, if, it, it, this has been said so many times. This is not my quote. If your parent or uncle is not on the cover of Sports Illustrated or at least in the magazine somewhere, it's pretty unlikely you're going to be top 10 in the world. And that's a reality. <laughs> that is reality. However, the life skills of learning to work hard to achieve at your very best and be, having that supported 
by a educated, informed, and intelligent parent, well, th- those are things that, that can happen, but there are, there are definitely some barriers to it. I think over the years, the key for me is tell the truth. Be right. very direct with the parent, yes. um, strive for the triad, plan together, hit goals that are, that are, um, that are makeable and the small ones and the, the weekly ones, like we talked about in, you know, get incorporated in that. But I still think, um, a, a good bit of the time, you're going to have some uncoachable and very unrealistic situations. And those are the ones who tend to bounce around from program to program, looking for answers that were inside their closet at home the whole time. That's a great answer. Um, so I have, I have sort of a, a, a running list of questions that, you know, I'm always talking to people and sort of, you know, wanting to know what they want to know, which, which, you know, helps me when I'm talking to great coaches like you, so in a program your size, and there there are a lot of programs out there that that would would have this question: um, How do you deal with players who train together but don't get along? Um, you know, for me, we have a set of standards here. You have to get along, mm. or somebody's going to go. You all get along. We're on the same team. We're going to get along. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. That's um. Because uh, it doesn't work otherwise. Um, the whole concept um, really came about a lot through John Wooden's, the stuff I've mainly mm-hmm. read in Pyramid mm-hmm. of Success. But you got to have a symbiotic relationship there. Um, it doesn't mean they got to leave here and go see a movie and sing Kumbaya and hold hands. But you know, <laughs> you you got You better come in here contributing. Your your attitude has to be one of contribution, not of what's in it for me. You do that, you're get you're out of here anyway. So um, I'd say most of the time I've found that when there is a rumble of dissent, that there is a character issue. And then I just go out and cut the char- the bad character out because they're not going to change. That's a, that's a parenting issue. Oh, that's huge. Um, so Jim, if you don't mind, cause this is awesome and I just want to keep going. If you can keep going a little bit with your time, would you mind if I ask you some personal questions? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> cause you know, I just, I just, uh, enjoy talking to you. So, um, what is your idea of perfect happiness? <laughs> perfect happiness. Oh yes. my gosh. I don't even know. Perfect happiness. Um, Gosh, truthfully, Jenny, it's it's probably pretty close to what life is now for me. Um, having come from super humble, difficult backgrounds to being able to buy a, ho- a home for myself, be married and have a amazing daughter and, a, and an academy of kids who um, who I mentor and they come back to visit me when they're home from, uh, from holidays. It came to my 50th birthday party. I mean, yep. I, I don't know that there's, you know, I, I tell you, though, I would like to paddleboard to work and bike home. If I could get that job, then there that would go. be that paddleboard would bring to work and bike home. I love yeah, that. or you you might have to bike to work and paddleboard home, depending <laughs> on the current. Okay. But um, if that job exists, that that would definitely put kind of a the cherry on top of the whipped cream for me. But honestly, I live in a state of perfect happiness, and sometimes I need to remind myself that how good it is. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we're in it beautiful. now. Um, shifting gears. What is your greatest fear? Um, it's actually a pretty easy one. My greatest fear is not being the father I'm supposed to be to my daughter, to not do everything in my power for her to have a great life. Um, 
and just be a happy, awesome kid that she is. And that's my greatest fear that and being the husband I'm supposed to be being the person I'm supposed to be. But really, it's about being a father. And when I married Jesse, uh, we had uh, the same outlook on life. Everything was about our child and our family. And that is what is most important in my life. So if, if um, that would be my greatest fear is not living up to the expectations um, of being a husband and a parent. Oh, wow. Um, thank you for sharing that. And just for the listeners out there. Uh, Jim did not have these questions ahead of time, so these amazing answers are totally off the cuff. Um, Jim, what is the trait you most deplore in yourself? <laughs> oh, the trait I most deplore in myself? Uh, I don't know. There's so many to choose from, oh, Jenny. No. I got Come I on. got a list. Um, It's it's one of two things. It's, you know, I would say procrastination, but that probably wouldn't be introspective enough. It's probably that I'm so eager to share that I still need to do a better job listening. Mm. Uh, I think that's and it may be a common trait of us in wow. the industry. We're so I'm so badly want to share knowledge that I have and and validate what I'm doing um, that I need to spend more time listening to others. I think it's something I could work on a lot more. What trait do you most deplore in others? Oh a gosh, that's a that's a good one. No, that's a that's a really good one. Um, lack of compassion, I think, is the thing that bothers me the most. That's mm -hmm. the thing I deplore in others: a inability to be selfless, to think of others before you think of yourself, is something that bothers me tremendously. It's so important. Um, which living person do you most admire? Which living person do I most admire? Well, you just make it really tough on me, don't you? Um, oh, my goodness. Um, probably my wife for the strength and character to come from where she comes from and to provide the most remarkable home for my daughter and, and remarkable role model, a strong feminist-based, female-strong role model in a, in a world that, that has sometimes, I don't know if it knows what it's doing anymore, um, I would say my wife. Oh, that's beautiful. What is your greatest extravagance? <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks is bad. Maybe my paddleboard, my, you know, like outdoor gear. I'm a big outdoorsman, as you know. And, <laughs> But um, too much Starbucks, especially those chai tea lattes lately. Why don't anybody oh, I love the chai tea latte. That's introduce me to that thing. I was a straight black coffee Americano yeah, guy. No, the chai tea latte. No, that's my favorite. Just, uh, it's a terrible extravagance, eating out too much, on the road too much, you know. Which words or phrases do you most overuse? <laughs> oh, man. You know, right now we need some of my juniors here to answer that one. They can <laughs> And between them and my family, I'd probably walk out of here feeling terrible. Oh, um, no. <laughs> get to work. Get to work. Um, what else? Uh, be who you want to be. Be who you're mm -hmm. supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Constantly using um, go. The word go. <laughs> go. Just go, go, go. Uh -huh. Harder, work harder, bigger, faster, stronger. 
Uh, all of those things are overused to the point I got to be careful what I'm saying sometimes. I think I'm just speaking and not thinking. Um, yeah, there's, I'm sure it would be. That's a really good question for my kids. I might have to mail that one in to you. Oh, that's great. Um, which talent would you most like to have? Which talent would I most like to have? Um, I would like to be a mu better musician. A musician. I can't say I'm a musician. I would like to play piano. I play a little bit of instruments. I'm quite terrible at everything. In fact, I'm terrible at all the instruments, but at least I'm terrible as opposed to non-existent. But I'd really like to be a, a, a really decent piano player. I would really like to do that. If you were to die and come back as a person or thing, what would it be? Die to come back as a person or thing? Oh, my goodness. These questions, Jenny, <laughs> you, just, you cannot sit around and just write questions. Um, I guess I would want to come back as a tree, live 100, 200 years, and watch things around you. I love that. Um, what is your most marked characteristic? That's um, a tough one. Marked characteristic is, um, it's something along the lines of sincerity and, mm -hmm. uh, conviction. I, I'm, I'm very sincere about trying to get things done the level that people around me want them done. So it's, it's a certain compassion for the kids around me or conviction of helping the people in my world. Uh, sincerity goes along with that. I'm just not sure how to put it in words. No, I think that's perfect. What do you most value in your friends? Loyalty. Do you have a favorite writer? Oh, it's a couple of them. Um, probably it's either Ernest Hemingway or Steinbeck. Both been very uh, influential in my life. Do you have a motto? No. <laughs> no, I don't. And I, I don't believe in them because I think they change constantly. I but agree. some people like them and mantras and things like that. Um, now, I think one time somebody asked me something along the lines of, what was your management style? <laughs> and I said, I, I'd kick over the ant pile and then just heard the ants <laughs> that's great i didn't get that job <laughs> uh, which historical figure would you most identify with hmm. tough questions huh goodness that is, gracious that is a tough one um for me personally i think it's 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 either abraham lincoln or uh i, I mean i don't know if, if ernest hemingway is or Zane Gray are considered historical figures. Sure. The outdoorsman of the discovery of uh, Rockefeller, you know, the, the discovery of the West, the discovery of uh, nature. I uh, just absolutely adore that. Um, so any of those uh, would be fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Well, Jim, thank you so much. I just want to sort of turn it over to you at this point and say, is there anything else that you want to say or talk about or speak to at all um, because I just want to thank you again. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your answers and I just appreciate all you do for the industry. 
No, you're so kind, Jenny. I, I will leave everybody with, with the coaches, especially with this. Um, you know, I started out as a, as a dreadful tennis player with a dreadful attitude and I had a pretty, pretty good success in college tennis from not doing anything right. And afterwards I started out as a dreadful tennis coach, uh, with the wrong attitude and, um, and I've built it into being able to, you know, pay for my house and help my daughter go to school and, um, and contribute to having a nice business and contribute uh, mentorship to all these kids. And I couldn't have in a better life. And, and just for anybody out there who is considering, you know, getting certified and becoming a tennis coach, um, you know, you can do it. And, and the great thing about our country also is that, you know, if, if you're passionate about it, uh, you, you can do this at a level that can bring so much to your life. And, and I strongly encourage you and let everybody know that, that my door is always open if I can be of any help to anybody. Oh, that is awesome. Well, uh, and, and to use your words uh, from, from my time around you, I'm, I'm going to close this and say um, good talk. <laughs> <laughs> good talk. Good talk. Good I talk. stole that one too. I think I'm a thief. <laughs> thank you so much, Jenny. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs>